Hello, I'm Jay Goodwin, and you're listening to Pay It Forward. Today on Pay It Forward, we have Francine Temeklo. Francine is a marketer and a project manager with an affinity for cultural storytelling, creative, and event production. Um, she has done event and marketing coordinating at She Runs It. She's been a brand specialist at a major music company and a senior associate of brand and marketing at Dig. Uh, so Francine, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited. Of course. Um, so I always start these off with like, where are you from? And uh, what did you think you wanted to be when you were younger? That is a great question. Um, so I am, I have to say, I'm from South Carolina by way of Ghana. Um, lived in South Carolina most of my life. Um, when I was growing up, I think the first thing I remember wanting to be was an ice ballerina. Okay. <laughs> Watching the like um, Olympics and Michelle Kwan being someone I was like, oh, yo, that looks so dope. Um, and then I think growing up, I always knew I wanted to do creative things, um, dance, music, uh, acting, all of those things through high school were important to me. Poetry became super important in college. Um, and I think me ending up in marketing was just a way to make my African mother happy about <laughs> like my creative path, as well as what she was willing to help me pay for school for. So happy medium, I think. Yeah, sounds about right. So, um, so what are you up to now? So, you know, starting out as maybe going to be an ice ballerina, knowing you had these creative passions. So, um, where are you now? Wow. Okay. So, I actually, 2020 has been like, I'm sure we're all going through our own individual versions of the, the, whatever happens when we have so much stillness and space to like really pause and think about can i curse yeah go for it okay. i'm can, sorry i was like i don't say know what to be here <laughs> whatever the hell is going on um, <laughs> with our lives and our careers and i think that initially i really was just working to work like you graduate college and i knew i wanted to leave south carolina i got a job in new york and so I did that job in New York and I wanted to be good at that job in New York. And then I got a job um, at Spotify and I wanted to be really good at that job. And then I got a job at Dig and I wanted to be really good at that job. But I don't think that I ever had a trajectory. Um, I think I've learned things along the way that have helped shaped where I want to be. Uh, but I think now I am more about using my I hope this is answering your question as well. More about using the skill sets of marketing to like focus on black creatives, black creators and the art they put out in the world. Mm. So it, it's definitely taken a turn from Ice Ballerina. <laughs> Happy to get into like some of the stories <laughs> and experiences to get me to that point. But I think that's where I am now. I'm trying to figure out how to use this industry um, some of the stuff I do outside of work to all fuel towards that because that feels more purposeful than just having a job and doing it well. Yeah. And so, uh, first of all, feel free to curse. This is, you can talk however you want. Um, 
And secondly, that was a really amazing answer because I already have like three whole different or two whole different ways um, of like following up like things that we could talk about. So like the first thing you mentioned was wanting to be really good at your job. Yeah. Uh, I felt that deeply. And so I kind of wanted to, um, you know, pick your brain a little bit on what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, how do you know if you are, you know, progressing on this path to being really good at your job? Uh, the other thing was uh, not having a trajectory in general. I mean, you said uh, South Carolina to New York, and you said you had picked things up along the way, but that there might not have been sort of a linear thing that you were trying to accomplish as you went from place to place. It was more about learning, right? So I wanted to ask, like, how you felt as you were, you know, moving and starting new things. And then the last thing you mentioned was like using your skill set uh, of marketing to advocate for black artists. So those are like three different uh, follow-ups we could take. So which, do you want to talk about any of those anymore? Or do you want to kind of- No, I would love to talk about all of them. This is like, open, you're going to have such a great time editing this with the way I talk. <laughs> um, let's start from the top. I think okay. thinking about what it is to not have a trajectory. Um, I think coming out of college, it was just like, get a job. Like I, yeah. I vividly remember moving my tassel over and being like, oh shit, I am now unemployed. <laughs> like, you, yep. When you're in college, you don't have a job. You can just be like, I'm a college student. And people give you things and give you space and people listen to you, right? Cause you're a smart college kid and they want to pick your brain and like being an entry level person, people don't, right? You don't get the yeah. same gravitas that even sometimes an intern can come in and like give ideas and perspectives and that's their job. Not quite when you're like the entry level person who's, you're just supposed to be there to get shit done. Yeah. So I think for me coming in, I, I'm hoping that like someone will hear this and maybe correct me, but I don't think I ever came into the industry thinking like, you know, I want to be a CMO someday. I think there are some people like Mazama St. John who I saw and I was like, oh, this is a Ghanaian woman who is really like doing it. And if I'm going to do it, that's what that means. But I don't know if that ever felt like home or like a place for me to to hang my coat. And I also realized year one, that's like year 15, right? Year 20 before you get there. So for me, trying to have that type of trajectory was never something that was going to like motivate me. I'm very much like, I have to be super passionate about what I'm doing right now and not, I hate this now, but eventually it will pay off. Um, and so one of the ways that manifests, I'm trying to transition a little smooth. Uh, <laughs> one of the ways that manifests for me, I think, is doing a really good job at my job. I think it's perfectionism. We can, I can do my astrology stuff and be like, I'm a Capricorn rising and like all of the things that make me a perfectionist first child. But really it is like, I, I don't know, I really like to be good at things. And I don't feel like I had to, get to a point where I was okay with doing that or being that way. But it also means I like, I want to be super efficient. I want all of these processes the things that people are like, oh, that's just the way we do it. And I'm like, that's fine. But like, here's a way we can do it better for all of us. Um, yeah, that manifests in some other stuff we can talk about as well, right? Like the not so great side of overdoing everything to the point that you're not doing it for yourself to the detriment of yourself rather. Um, but I think that's always been something that's important to me is like feeling like I'm doing a great job. I don't think I ever get that feeling until several months 
or more into a job because it, it's hard to establish that feeling of like one good thing. Um, I've also had experiences like in my most recent role where I was doing a good job because I was getting a lot of affirmation. I had an amazing um, boss, Carrie Stubb, who like believed in me and like I would do something and it would be a lot of verbal affirmation and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Like I'm ready to like do, do more, do better. And that got to be a really maybe even toxic thing where it's like the inability to know you're doing well for where you're at is also a real thing. Um, so that, that's a, a lot there in that question. But I think being good at your job sometimes can be like, oh, there was a really good thought I had today that was unrelated to this, but we're going to circle back. Is, is mm-hmm. kind of like that, that sign of growth coming from within and not needing to perform your growth. Mm. That's like a personal mental health, shout out to my therapist thing, but I think that also relates a lot to work, right? Like sometimes we want the metrics that show that like, yo, I did this campaign that went through the roof and you know, so-and-so said I did a great job on this project, but sometimes it's really just like, yo, I did work today and I got it done faster than I've ever gotten it done and I can go home at five o'clock. Like, that's growth because three months yeah. ago, I didn't know enough <laughs> to do that. And so that's, that's the type of stuff that I think after what now it's been four years of wanting to be really good at my job and waking up early and staying late and all of those things that you're told to do to like show up and show up better than everyone else. I'm kind of like leaning away from those things and finding like the small sustainable wins that can mark the growth. Um, for me, especially if there's no, and different people have that, yo, I know I want to be the president, the VP, so that's the goal that satiates them. But I think for me, knowing that that's not my goal, I have to figure out what other things can make me feel accomplished and satisfied. Yeah, no, 100%. I echo a lot of the things you just expressed, um, especially the perfectionism part. That is something that, uh, has always sort of plagued me as a first child, as a child who's always trying to impress his father um, and mother and mother for that reason. Um, but uh, there was something you said, and it was um, around um, being okay with the small wins and taking the success that you have where you are for where you are right now. That is definitely a timely word. Um, I think I want to say maybe a month ago. I started a folder just like in my documents on my work laptop and just quick win. And so anytime I get like a Slack where it's like, hey man, you did a great job on that presentation. I just take a screenshot, throw it in there. So then next time when I feel like crap, when I cannot figure out what I'm trying to do in this presentation, I can just go look at that, calm down, take a step back, just and just do something. Like it doesn't need to be perfect right now. You just need a first step that, you know, can then be made better. So I hear you. Ooh, I'm gonna take that. That's really, really good strategy. Yeah. I mean, it comes in handy. It's like a quick little serotonin hit. We're like, okay, I've done this before. I'm okay. Um, because yeah, like being wanting to be really good at your job is good in theory, but when you are starting a new position or something like that, you add so much pressure to yeah. yourself. When, um, so on episode six, I talked to Brianna Brooks and a piece of advice that she like gave me personally was you've got to give yourself grace to, you know, 
take some time to realize you don't know what you're doing <laughs> and it's, you're gonna be a little wobbly when you take the training wheels off but it, it's gonna be all right and like you have to realize that you've done a lot of new things before and you turned out okay so just relax a little bit and it's gonna work out so um yeah okay there was one really really interesting thing at that first thing you said which was uh you are now sort of taking the skill set you've gained in marketing and uh, using that to advocate for Black artists. So one, um, for, for people who may not you know, be in the industry yet, or people who may be um, you know, entry level, like students who are entry level, but they're not actually in a marketing role yet or something like that. Just talk me through what you mean by marketing skill set. Like um, you know, what particularly like, uh, skills are you talking about there? And then, um, you know, how does that, how do you translate those skills into the advocacy work that you're doing for Black artists? Okay, advocacy work. Wow, you made that sound so important. <laughs> I'm just That's like, I, I have Black people. That's, <laughs> That's what I heard when you explained it to me. <laughs> that is so good. I'm, I might have to hire you as my PR person. That sounds hey, hey, I, cool. I got you. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm trying to like break it down into 101 and remember all of this demystifying because I went to school for marketing and no offense USC y'all never taught me what a brief was like <laughs> all the like basic practices so basically um the side of marketing that I am starting to lean more into um is where our basic process would be to start a brief and this is just like what is it we're trying to get done for the business are you trying to gain subscribers are you trying to promote a menu item or an album or I'm kind of conflating all of my experiences into one um, and the benefit that, of experience that brief would go to a creative team ideally I've been in situations where I am the copywriter and creative team so I write a brief for myself um, at times <laughs> I've been at places that are well resourced where you have creative directors and art directors some people just have the vision other people execute you have copywriters you have producers um, and they will take that brief and those are all those fancy commercials you see from Nike. All of the advertising that people look at, whole teams come together to create those. So those are the type of processes I'm thinking of when I'm talking about marketing. Um, and then certain times and certain places, you have really, really great initiatives um, that come out of stuff. I think a lot of the like Black History Month stuff you see from companies is like a, a bigger scale version of what an everyday brief would be. So for that's like, hopefully my 101 that makes sense to people who are not in industry. Um, I think for me, I didn't have this in my first role. My first role was at a nonprofit. So it was very much like we're promoting these events. But as I've gotten more opportunities and roles, I'm stepping more into this place where I'm getting to sit at the table and say like, hey, who should we work with when we are doing a commercial or a campaign, right? Who are the and not just like musical artists or visual artists, but like who is the photographer that we should hire to come to this event? Who is the person who is like a video producer? There's a whole team of people. Um, and I think a lot of what folks in the industry will say is like sometimes you have a black person in front of the camera, person, people behind, hair and makeup, all of the many, many things that go into it were missing from there. And I think when I think about me being a kid and wanting to be a creative, I didn't know what that looked like, right? My mom didn't know what that looked like. And so for her, it was like, you can't do that because you can't make money that way. 
But the truth is, like, you could be a video producer and work for all of these brands and get coins, right? You don't necessarily have to be a starving artist. And so I think for me being in these spaces, um, I it's been a year where I'm, like, questioning why I'm doing this or, like, yo, it's not feeding people, it's not freeing my people, what is this type of stuff? Um, but understanding while I'm there, it is really important for me to research so a i know people um and doesn't have to be like even personal relationships right you can just see someone's work and be like yo this is a really dope photographer be in the room and be able to advocate for that person um there was a campaign at spotify where like we worked with a, a poet and a visual artist and um and a filmmaker and just off the strength of people internally in the company knew these people and were like yo this is someone's art you should check out. It's really dope. And so for me, it's like if I continue while I'm in these spaces to always make sure that when it's time to open my mouth and put someone forward, I'm like, here's a Black person who does this creative work who like, let's give them a check. That's mm -hmm. my entire <laughs> practice right now. And the way I would like to kind of use what I know um, and where I'm at to support and funnel out resources to the community in that way. Um, so yeah, I think that's like my, my overall approach. And then I think a lot of us who work in the industry, we also know it's rarely ever as simple as just saying, Hey, this person that I know does this thing. It's like having the skills to be able to show their credentials, to big up them before people are like, Oh no, well we have a person or we know exactly who we use for this information. So I think that that's like a hopefully breaks it down for folks who wouldn't understand the process. <laughs> no, I got you. No, and I love that. Um, there's, so the, the entire concept really is just advocating for these black artists in these spaces that you would think we're in, but we're really not. Um, and you mentioned the word resources, which takes me back to uh, something we had kind of talked about way back in the day. And uh, as you put it, it was like the intersection of advertising and capitalism. And then, you know, the experience of being a black person who is working in this industry, but also sees that these two industries are not very kind to black people. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to pose that to you and sort of get your take on um, how you see just advertising and capitalism. How do they exist together? Um, you know, some, what are your concerns and sort of pain points there? Like, you know, what are some things that tick you off about this whole system? all right this is, this is me in my bag um, no i'm gonna try and not be so on my soapbox but like the way that people can understand where i'm coming from i think i have long had this understanding and not even just through my own experiences just like taking a step back of like oh capitalism is bad y'all like i remember having friends who were studying law and all of that stuff and i'm like well if I want to take over the world, I just learn business because that's what that's what runs all of this, right? Like you can learn how to like legislate and then I'll come in with my money from XYZ company and like influence the policy <laughs> that you have with my money. Like that's yes. on the very basic level how it works and not even just in America and most of the world, right? So at first it was kind of like capitalism is this thing that lives outside there but like oh it doesn't matter i can work i can want to you know make six figures and and have all these these experiences um in this industry and 
I don't think I, I had time to really sit down and think about my own role or like what it is we're doing. And on the very, very basic level, advertising is able to use these things that we love, right? Celebrities, music, art, right? When you see all of the people behind the scenes as artists, right? Creative directors who are really just like not there to sell the product, right? Those people are the people who look at this and are like, okay, how do we tell this story, right? How do I express what this, these business marketing people want in a way that feels like art to people? It is using art to further capitalism, period. And like at that basic level, I'm like, oh shit. Like it doesn't feel as innocent anymore, right? right? Even <laughs> when I, even thinking of campaigns that I love, I'm like, man, I know that if this company was not here wanting more subscribers and being invested in by, by whoever they're being invested in by, like I wouldn't even have this opportunity to be here to tell this story. And it's this like chicken or the egg thing. What comes first, me participating in it, mm -hmm. me not participating in it is not, is not gonna stop it. So it, it's this thing where I don't think I, I pose or say any of those things for anyone to be like, okay, we all have to stop being in advertising, it's trash. I like, none of that is what I'm trying to say. But I think for me, it was just a moment of maybe some interrogation about like, what is it that I am doing in this industry? Um, where is my effort and energy going, right? A lot of us, I don't know, like I think about us, a lot of us who are career people thinking like, oh, six figures up is like, yo, that's what we're hustling towards. And then we get it and then we get a title. And like, those things are the things that feel like a lot of the work or maybe some of the suckier moments we've been through, like we've made it. But in reflection, like very few percentage of the country makes that much money very few percent of black people make that kind of money mm -hmm. and so it's this thing where at least for me I've always had such a deep awareness of it and I think 2020 is the year that forced me to not be able to step away from that in any way um, I got laid off in July and that sucked but luckily I was able to like have savings and had four months where I was freelancing very very lightly but I think even that awakening of like oh we have these jobs they're not secure <laughs> like they're only as secure as your company is or the circumstances mm -hmm. and like who plans for a pandemic right at top of the year when I was like yeah I'm gonna go work in the restaurant industry because I love food and like that's that's my passion no one would have thought we'd be eight months into a pandemic <laughs> yeah um so I think I think a lot about um Oh, don't tell me I lost my point. <laughs> um, I think a lot about my personal role, where my work and my effort is going. Once I make the money that I want to make so bad, where is it going? What am I investing in? Um, another thing that's pretty important to me in terms of like those skills and advocacy, I feel very uncomfortable using that word, I'll be honest, <laughs> a little warm up on me, um, is also like I'm on the board of this organization called Zeal Press. And it's like uh, basically a co-op model for artists right now, a lot of visual artists to just like come together, own, own some, you know, piece of something for themselves and to be able to create. Um, and I think in the visual art space, that's also very, you know, they're not very kind to, to black artists in the overall space. So just finding ways for me to like 
yo, I know a thing about marketing or social media presence. You guys need help mm. with that. Like figuring out how these things that I'm learning aren't just benefiting me and my career, but are like going out the door to other people who are building independent models yeah. outside of it. So yeah, I have a lot, a lot of thoughts of advertising capitalism. Would love to jump in here, yours. We can continue to talk about it. We can pivot, I'm down. You know, I had never really uh, sort of consciously sat down to consider it as much as I should have by now. Um, so I don't know that I have a very concrete point of view on it um, other than like what I said at the top. So, you know, obviously, Advertising right now has this push for diversity inclusion. We'll see how long it actually stays. We'll see the actual results from it. Um, and it, yeah, that's its own thing. And I mean, there is practically nothing that I can think about right now about capitalism that I would say is super beneficial to Black people in general. I think the entire really the system of how this country was built was pretty much based on ripping as much value out of the black community as possible without really giving anything in turn and i think that a lot of things that have happened since then in this country have pretty much also tried to uh not really allow for that much advancement whether it be political economic whatever the case is so that said uh, I think that I could probably see one of those uh, self-crisis moments coming ahead because now I'm not going to be able to stop thinking of this. And <laughs> <laughs> you need a buddy to process. I got you because, you know, I've been unemployed, so I just had a lot of time to sit and think, and that's what yeah. happens. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely something I've been wrestling with, and I think, it's like, it's already hard enough being a Black person in these spaces, mm. right? Like, and even when you start to compound like how much of the microaggression you just accept as part of being in this space, it, it starts to like put a lot of pressure. Um, I think for me at best, it's like we can have one or two, right? Or a couple black rich people. You, you join your place in the line to say like, yo, if I just work hard enough for long enough, I too can can get there and it's just been i think a shift for me to say like oh wait one the likelihood slim to none but even still like that is not helping black people at large right like i i i struggle with a lot of what happened this summer like the reckonings because it had to happen right as a black people in these spaces i'm sure that most companies have heard so many things from their black employees saying hey these are the problems that we have this and it wasn't until a spotlight was put on it on a, like a external lens that a lot of the pressure got applied i can't say that black people shouldn't be equal in workspaces of course like let's apply that pressure and let's get the change we need but i i don't know any company has the answer to this and i don't know that it, this is something that can really be reckoned in statements but it is something that is extremely painful i think to be a black person and be like George Floyd had to die, right? And like be captured on screen in that awful way for my employer to listen to me. As a, but like that is something that I just, 
I've seen a lot of statements. I've seen a lot of stuff happen across the industry. And I'm like, okay, great change progression. But it's like, yo, at what cost? Like, it's actually kind of hurtful that it's taken this. And even still, like in your statement, you're like, we'll see how long it lasts. Like most of us don't actually truly believe that it's a sustained effort as much as it's like a moment. And so these are the things that really make me start to question like, okay, mama needs a check, mama needs healthcare. So we're going to make sure that we have both of those things. But like, how can I make sure that I'm almost like reorienting how I'm looking at this space? If it's not about me getting an individual like, yo, I'm trying to stack money, I'm trying to save. If it's not about me being a VP, like when I'm in this room, what is my personal mission statement that I can make sure I leave here every day or like at the end of every quarter, I'm like, okay, I understand that this is a bigger part of a nasty cog, but like, I feel good about what I was able to get done here. And I think it's, again, a lot of time to sit down and process um, <laughs> in isolation. But I think that's kind of like, if the first four years of my career were, I don't really know what's going on, but like, we vibe. <laughs> I think like, hopefully the next four have a little bit more purpose and focus to that aim um, of what I can be in the room to do for Black people. Full stop. So actually, that's a perfect stop because I was going to, uh, well, to frame this question, um, you know, you just mentioned always sort of checking yourself to ask, what am I doing to better, you know, the lives of other Black people while I'm in this space, while I'm in this role, while I have this access? Um, and you mentioned that you had joined the board of the organization that helps the visual artists. And so, um, kind of all wrapped up all into all this was something you said just now too, which was, you know, feeling good about what you were able to get done uh, to help others. And so for people listening who maybe are like me and haven't had that, uh, haven't actually taken the step back to have that sort of mental reckoning about, you know, what this industry is and the systems around it and how they affect people who look like us. Um, how do you start to turn some of the negatives that might come out of that? Because I can see that being a lot of despair. <laughs> how do you start to sort of shift those into finding out what you can do personally? Like finding out how to use your talents to, or your access to maybe start to influence these in some way. So I think that, first of all, I do want to give you credit for having a podcast that talks to black people in the industry like you kind of in some ways do that so give yourself credit for that for sure um i think that a lot of us do it right i think the i don't have the, the statistics but like if you think about people who are super organized in the workplace around ergs and stuff like black people usually are involved in those so i think inherently there are ways that we integrate that into our um work approach I think, and this is just for me personally, it is like, if I do not want to do something, I cannot do it. So now that I reach this point of reckoning, it is really like, oh, in order for me to do a good job, back to that, I have to have like, what am I getting out of it? So I think the first step is really just like learning and reflection. This summer, I've taken a lot of time to read, um, to learn, and mostly to listen, right? To like, I'm very left of center but like people who are like we need to defund and abolish the police like 
what does that mean? I'm sitting and listening to those conversations. And while that has nothing to do with Black people in advertising, it's helping me understand like a greater vision of what, you know, our world could be. And I, I'm just someone who's like, yo, if we can send a man to the moon, if we can send robots to Mars, we can totally figure out a world. <laughs> yeah. I just, I believe in human ingenuity enough to think that. Um, and I think that's also just changed like how I see a workplace, right? A lot of times is things that feel like completely out of our power and some things are. Trust me, Francine is the first one to hop on a call and be like, that is above my pay grade. I'm like really <laughs> good at doing that. But sometimes it's really like, what about your workplace isn't working for you? What about your workplace isn't working for Black people? How do you change that? Talk to other Black people, organize around it, right? Work with your um, ERGs or even just get a group of folks you know together. What doesn't work about the industry? I don't like that we don't talk about our salaries. <laughs> so every company is able to like kind of do this private negotiation and Black people are underpaid. Talk to your friends about how much you're making in certain roles so that you all can like glow up together. So I think they're like yes. small things about like creating community, um, being honest, and also just like listening because I find that this world of advertising and marketing and media is like, it's, it's super glamorous, right? In some ways it's like connected to all of these fancy things and events. And it's not really necessarily like what your cousin Daryl is dealing with, where you're from, like whatever that is. So I think it's also, as much as we're in these rooms, making sure we're not so far disconnected from like black people who are just living their life that, when it's time to advocate, when it's time to say something, you are also saying the things that benefit all of us. I hope those were some answers to some questions. Clearly, I'm still figuring this out. This is month four of my reckoning, so take it with a good <laughs> Um, But yeah, I think those are some good ways in and, you know, talk to people about it. No, I hear you. I think those are great points. Um, I think part of it too is just sort of, um, I guess figuring out the scope of uh, effort or involvement you personally want to have, because I feel like it could be a situation where you're kind of like, I want to take on the world and I want to do all this stuff, but I also have this nine to five. <laughs> I have to like, you know, handle hey. all my other business. Hey, now. <laughs> um, so. No, that, that's very, very, very real. This is something I always like to talk about is like, I have a sleep disorder. It's something I like to like jam through and pretend I don't have a lot of times. And then my body will be like, hey girl, <laughs> sleep. Um, so I totally understand not wanting to take on the world and stuff like that. I think, and this is also something that I've learned a lot by listening to folks is like, Community is something that happens on a smaller level than I think we like to think about it as, right? Like you doing something in your individual workplace and just focusing on like, yo, these are the three, four people I talk to and we talk to about these things. And when I'm in a conversation, I'm able to advocate for X, Y, Z, like really sometimes that's where it starts. I think where I have fallen short many times in my career is actually trying to do too much, getting tired and then doing nothing. Because I'm like, I don't know, you, the system is created to make you tired. The system is created to make you disillusioned and like not want to do things. So 
a lot of times for me, especially with my particular like circumstances, it's like, and I struggle with this a lot because I am a, I want to do everything type person, but um, it is start small, <laughs> uh, start with those conversations, start getting more comfortable telling your friends how much you actually make, how much y'all make after taxes, because that's what we don't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Because okay. those are two very different <laughs> those numbers. Those are two very different <laughs> numbers. Um, and so I think start there. Um, start with listening, right? That doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing, but like, yo, if three of your homies in advertising want to get together and read a book, read a book and come to work and talk about it on your lunch break or whatever. Like, start super small. And I think that's where community building begins. Um, and it will naturally progress if you're committed to that work to be bigger things. Um, another thing the summer has taught me is like the struggle is a lifelong one. So pace yourself, go rest. Like it, I don't know, taking a break from doing something isn't, it doesn't mean failure. Um, as long as you know the problem isn't eradicated by even our small steps or our big ones. Like we kind of got our whole lives to do this. So pace yourself, rest is like my big, big thing. Um, and know that but we don't have one savior. Like I had to, to get rid of my savior complex a lot of like, oh, I can just be really good at this thing. And like, I can solve this problem for everyone here. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, something that you've sort of passively mentioned a couple of times is uh, the word career mm -hmm. and uh, where you are now um, versus maybe where maybe you were before. <laughs> so I just want to pose the simple question, which is, how would you describe where you are in your career right now? Um, mm -hmm. I know at one point you said, you kind of put a, a date on it, you said four years. Um, so I want to ask, you know, how would you describe where you are in your career right now um, versus maybe when you first got that first job? I would say right now in my career, I think if you want to put the like, the things that HR will put on it, it's like the mid-level beginning of the mid-level type of thing. I think where I am in it and the way I'm looking at it is I think I've reached my purpose phase where um, <laughs> I'm going to out myself to be a very woo-woo girl over here. I had my <laughs> before my birthday and my uh, astrologer homie definitely helped illuminate some things. This kind of theme of being about, you know, black art at my center was something that was illuminated to me and i think that i'm moving into the phase where that is clear so i don't need to do as much open discovery as i felt i had to do the first four years i'm like okay this is what i want to get good at i can learn more about media planning and budgeting and all of those like technical tactical things but I think I'm in the phase where like, if I am not focused on this, it's, it's not gonna be what I see as feeding my career. Um, so I, I think that's definitely, purpose is the phase we're in now. Um, I wonder how long this will last before it feels solidified enough for me to dream in something else. But right now I'm just like, that's, that's where I'm at. I think where I was before was discovery. And while I never wanna lose that sense of learning new things, you know, growing. I think my first four years were really like, A, just get a job, right? And then it's, <laughs> yeah. hey, where can I find the best uh, opportunity? So that was my rotational program experience where I was like, 
yo, for 16 months, sign me up for three different teams. I don't know what any of them do. I want to learn. Like that's where I was. Um, and now I'm more solid than ever that, oh, it's not operations. I want to be in sucked at that. I didn't suck at that. Be nice to yourself. Um, Thank you. It wasn't fun <laughs> for me. Um, I did some like upsell marketing. It was okay. I didn't have the best time. Um, dealing with like branding creative was where I found like passion, being in marketing. Uh, my food job was really great as well. So I've kind of I found my niche, found our purpose. Now I'm ready to get in my bag. Like, you know, be in my little tail. I'm ready. I hear you. Um, the, the word that jumped out to me during you explaining where you are now was purpose. And I think you actually, or direction, um, which I think you might actually set at the end, but it feels like, or sounds like, um, and uh, it makes sense that the first years are, are more about discovery. You don't know what you don't know. You're figuring things out. This is your first job. There's everything that's happening is new. And once you get to a point where not everything that's happening is new, and you mentioned that you found your niche. So it just felt like you moved from discovery into direction where it's like, okay, you have discovered something um, that you can now take and sort of vet everything against. Like, is this fulfilling the purpose I think I have? Is this, you know, um, making me excited and passionate and those sorts of things. Okay. So you also mentioned this earlier and I meant to bring it up, but I mean, obviously you've had a lot of change um happened during the pandemic so i wanted to ask like how, how you been how you been coping um you know how, what's been getting you through shout out to my therapist we gonna start there um strong advocate for therapy um i'm a plug with no advertising um open path collective y'all sign up you can get therapy without insurance between 30 and 60 dollars each session uh it has helped me tremendously. Therapy is always a thing I've been like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do it. Like I had a couple therapists, I'd see a couple times when things got super hard and then kind of fall off. But mm -hmm. it, you know, it's a pandemic um, among many other anxieties uh, happening in the world right now. And so I think truthfully, that has been the thing that helped me navigate a lot of stuff. I think because work takes up so much of our lives, let's be honest it's more like a nine to seven you need your commute hours when we were doing that before now you just need your like decompress hours and then it's like nine and time to get ready for bed it's just like <laughs> yep. the reality of it and so so much of the things i take in throughout the day and like the, the experiences the feelings i have are related to work um, and so it was strange for me at first to like get a therapist just to talk about work. Cause I'm like, I don't want to spend another hour talking about this, but it was super helpful for me. I think when we shifted into, um, pandemic, I was like working in the restaurant industry. And that was one of the first industries that was hit the way some other businesses are experiencing now, because obviously the restaurant industry is about like getting people in the door now. And it's not really made to have an, you know, crazy amounts of uh, time where there's no one in the restaurant. Beginning of pandemic, no one was doing this outdoor dining, eating out, ordering out, even people were just going to grocery stores. So it like shifted where I got into this new role was about marketing a menu. And I got to like write about Brussels sprouts and like figure out quirky, cool ways to do that type of stuff. Um, I got to work with people in the kitchen and all of those things were taken away from me. And it was like, 
You don't even have a desk at your house, work in your bed, be on call all kind of hours, all and day. five days a week. It really like shifted something in me where I was like, I'm not acclimated to this job. I only kind of know these people and I'm stressed and we also don't know what's going on in the world. Um, so it was rough in the beginning. And I think that um, truthfully, by the time I got to my layoff in July, it was, am I, am I? I think it was almost a relief. Like it was just like, oh, I can't, this is not a sustainable way for me to work under this type of pressure. Um, but then you have to like, then process what being unemployed in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, and I turned 26 this year. So I had to figure out what that insurance thing was hitting on. Oh my God. <laughs> like, so it all just kind of one, two punch. Um, I definitely think like my number one thing here is like, therapy and just taking care of yourself like really for me it was understanding some of the ways that like yo I've never been someone who my room is immaculate like a clean room makes me feel better mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but exercise makes me feel better I hate exercising but like if it helps with the serotonin like I had a moment with my roommate the other day I was like yo my body feels high but I'm not high and she goes those are called endorphins and I was like <laughs> Oh, bet this feels good. This feels good. Those are, so, those are nice. Those are nice. So just figuring out the things like take care of myself. Um, and I think that in those four months while I was deeply contemplating my role in capitalism <laughs> and being a cognitive machine, it was also like, oh, I can take care of myself a lot better than I have been. Um, and that's something that I genuinely hope to keep with me as I like thank God she got a job. Yay. We have healthcare. Um, taken to me to my next role for sure. Um, first of all, congratulations, by the way, on getting that new job. Um, there was something else you said about the insurance men, 1994 babies. Um, okay. <laughs> because I wasn't prepared. Really, I lost my job. And at first I was like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Like I have health insurance. And my mom was like, yeah, but you only have it to the end of October. So I was like, oh, like even my yeah. freelance, I was like lucky enough where I had enough savings where I was only doing 10, 15 hours a week. So I was like, I need a break. Mm -hmm. And that's something I was really, really grateful to myself that I was able to do because not everyone I even worked with had that ability. It was like, how do you stress about finding work virtually in a pandemic? But that health insurance stuff? Yeah. <laughs> and then paychecks looking a little different now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think earlier we had said um, what you make before taxes and after taxes is a very different number, but what do you make after taxes and then after insurance? Because <laughs> it's <ain't> pretty. <laughs> No, it is, it is one of the things that I, I hope for our future is that healthcare is not a thing that is attached to employment. Because I will say one of the things I look forward to getting back to whenever that happens further in my career is freelancing. Though it's not fun to beg people for money um, that you worked for, I think that the flexibility of like setting your own hours and like it really there's something that happens when you're not emotionally attached to a company right where like you know you work somewhere and like someone has anxiety about something so they come to you and they like put it on you in a way that has nothing to do with you but then you start <laughs> getting anxious about something like there's just a level of you can operate without soaking up too much of that that i really enjoyed 
Uh, but again, mama needs healthcare. So until our country decides <laughs> that people without structure and employment uh, can have that freedom, I will be um, figuring out the spaces that work for me. <laughs> yeah, empathy definitely has two sides. <laughs> it's not great when you take on other people's emotions, right? Absolutely. Um, okay, last sort of personal hard-hitting question. I call it hard-hitting. It's not really hard-hitting. Um, on the topic of therapy, Yes. What was one of the most insightful things um, that a therapist provoked in you about yourself? Whoa, whoa, that is a hard-hitting question. Um, <laughs> me and my therapists have had so many that, let me think of uh, the one that is most applicable here. I think my therapist taught me the things that make me good at business make me bad to myself mm. um so i am someone first child syndrome is also like super agreeable i am like whatever we need to do to make all parties calm that's what i'll do but i think a lot of times that sometimes means removing yourself your opinion your emotion oh, from God. from the thing and that's really good right when you have to navigate a room of like three hotheads, two people who don't speak up mm -hmm. enough, but you need them to, and it helps me manage amazingly, right? That's a lot of feedback I get in my stuff is like, you're junior, you need to learn these things, but like, you're really good at navigating tough situations with empathy and all that stuff. Fantastic. Trauma-informed. <laughs> that is what that is. So mm. I think that in my period of silence, realizing that I'm also stepping into a place where like, yo, eventually in your career, you will have more right managerial power right and you have to get to a point where you have to be cool saying your opinion in your personal life you kind of can't live life based on other people being the strong uh personality or having the opinion and you just being like yay nay you have to make decisions and like pursue things you have to reject things and be okay with taking on that responsibility um so that was a big one we cracked up in this yeah shout out to dr kai that's my girl that's my girl um, oh. yeah that's probably it and it's nice to have that when you realize i don't know it's nice to have something where i can be thankful right for like the skill that that trauma informed behavior has given me we're like ah Give me anyone, we can probably get along and I can make great work with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's nice to know that I won't have to lose that in my work life, but in my personal life, I gotta start like shifting some things and changing it. Yeah, I hear you. Um, geez, that, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that hit me deep because <laughs> I'm also the first child um, and I always thought this was like a personality trait that I just got from my father. But like, if you ask my mom to describe me in like three words, her first word is gonna be like non-confrontational. Like I'm super like easy, go with the flow. I actually remember uh, my, I was acting up in class one time, I, like back in seventh grade. And I still remember this <laughs> because my seventh grade English teacher, Miss Chandler, her husband worked with my mom. So like anytime I did something in class, my mom knew before I got home. Yeah. And I remember I was acting up doing something and she told me in front of everybody, she was like, gosh, you're so jocund. And I was like, I, I had never heard that word. Like, 
I was like, did you just like cuss at me like in front of everybody? Like what's going on? <laughs> what does and that so mean? I went to a dictionary and it means uh, like light, lighthearted, joyful, like go with flow. Like somebody who just like is, just is like, I don't. And like I, for a while I thought it was just like, I mean, that's just kind of how I am, you know, but, and I used to frame it as like, yeah, sure. I'm non-confrontational. My dad's non-confrontational. I got it from him. But I don't like the phrase non-confrontational anymore. I really like your <laughs> phrase, agreeable. But um, to your point about like being really good at getting everyone else's opinion, but maybe silencing your own, I think I got maybe too good at that because it got to the point, and this is something I'm still dealing with, where I just wouldn't talk much at all. And I'm normally a pretty outgoing person, but... I got to the point where I was not really comfortable, like even I got so uncomfortable voicing my opinion that I convinced myself I just didn't have an opinion. Yes. Like, I don't have anything to add when, if I just like take myself out of the situation, if I was sitting in the conference room by myself, I definitely have thoughts. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know, that just, that you brought that out because of what you said. So um, maybe no. secondhand therapy is a thing. Yes. It also, this is why I'm always talking about therapy. I'm like, yo, therapy costs. Let's talk to other people about it so we can all, you know, eat. Um, no, that's, that's so real. I think I used to have a lot of resentment for the time work took up because I was like, yo, I'm not getting to live my life. And I think I have to be honest, work has taught me a lot about who I am as a person. Um, it's taught me a lot of things I want to change. It's shown me people I never want to be like. It's shown me people I admire and, you know, learn from a lot. So I think that even just using that as a entry point for all the other things that, you know, happened when you were in seventh grade that you never really like take out <laughs> of your brain and unpack is super helpful. Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about just like career path stuff in general. Yeah. Um, so and you mentioned USC earlier. We both went to USC. So I want to flash back. We're in school. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you studied entrepreneurship and marketing. And so um, talk to me a little bit about um, your transition from graduation to landing that first job. Yeah. Ooh, what a time. Um, <laughs> so I want to say uh, senior semester was. I think I was like the only person who, I did this when I studied abroad too. I didn't know you weren't supposed to have classes your senior year. So I had like five real classes, um, senior semester spring, and that was just not a good look at all. Yeah. <laughs> I was like super stressed. I was applying for jobs and not getting anything. I think at USC, their business school is really like manufacturing focused. So like you'll have the Pepsi codes, you'll have the insurance companies out there. But like, I didn't really see my internship was with Wyndham Timeshare. Like I sold Timeshare as a, a marketing internship. So like I, ne I knew my experience wasn't necessarily aligned with the things that I wanted to do. And I also knew I wanted to leave South Carolina and you come to New York and especially in advertising, folks have the clubs that they've been in on campus that worked with the agencies. And it's a very like, especially when it comes to like uh, diverse candidates, they already have their pipelines for it. Um, and I was lucky enough, I want to say I applied two places. I came to New York both times. My mom was like, you can't go to New York every time you have a job interview, Francine. I'm like, I just want to show them that I want it. Don't do that. Especially as a pandemic. It's uh, always, always virtual interview if you're not close. Make them, make them pay. 
Um, and my gosh, <laughs> I remember coming up here for an interview for the She Runs It position. I am someone overprepared perfectionist, right? So I came with like, I had made this one sheet that I had designed with their logo and like four points after I've assessed their marketing channels of ways and approaches to fix it. Mind you, I'm just an event coordinator. So I don't even think they needed or wanted this from me, but this is just how I am. I had this what uh, we got. my pad folio full of questions. I came and I was in this like, almost, oh my gosh, Francine. Uh, this like business skirt suit and heels. And mind you, like in New York, right now I wear sneakers to work. Like if I were going into an office and like, I've definitely worn a sweatsuit to work. So like the, the contrast, <laughs> I think between like what I thought I was getting into, I took the wrong train, even though I practiced. So I got there an hour late. The CEO had left to go to her office, back to the office. And I was sitting there with <laughs> two people I work beside. They got me an iced coffee that had melted because it was a summertime. And I was just like, oh shit, I'm not getting this job. Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't not show up. But like when the CEO leaves the meeting and your iced coffee is done, you're just kind of mm -hmm. like, let's just get through it. Um, luckily I'm overprepared and they're like leaning in, talking, talking. Loved it. Um, they're like, okay, let's go up to the office. Maybe Lynn, who's the CEO, can talk to you. She comes out of her office and she's like, I love this story. She comes out of her office. She's like, I have 10 minutes before my next call. Come in. We'll do a quick interview. She's eating her salad because she's multitasking. I'm trying really hard to like make up for missing her the first time. Um, she's asking me all these like untraditional questions. And then she gets to this one question about like, what would your friend say about you? And thinking back to my undergrad experience, I was like, okay, my friends would say I'm extra, but in a good way. And I tried to be like, hey, so I started a poetry club. And instead of just like us getting together and write poems, like I basically managed all of these artists. We worked together scheduling um, performances. So like the promotion for that, all of that stuff, recording videos, scheduling, all of those things that go into event coordination that I would be able to like use these very, untraditional questions she's asking me to be able to link back to the role then she goes oh you do poetry and i'm like ah, ha, ha, yeah 10 minutes i keep this feel going and she's like oh could you recite some and i kind of chuckle and i'm like okay <laughs> all right and she, she goes well it's a job interview so if you say you can do something i assume you can do it and i was like oh, okay and basically what happened is I performed a poem for her and I kept stopping after stanzas like, and she's just enthralled. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm just coming here a second job for these people. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I even got the job for me to be in here reciting poems, but here we are. She's like, oh my God, that was so great. I had to get on my call, but like, I'm gonna leave my door a little crack. Can you do it for the office? Can you do it? And the office is only like seven people, but I'm like, I, can I say no? Like, I just did it. And then I left. And I just remember being like, okay, so this was the last time your mom said you could take your ass to New York. <laughs> <laughs> and you over here is like in poems and job interviews. Um, long story short, I got the job. Um, and it actually ended up working in my favor where they were working on a summit, kind of like a TEDx style thing. And they wanted a poet. And they were like, well, we want to hire you. Also, can you perform in this thing in Chicago with all these other advertising c-suite women and i was just like uh again don't know if i can say no because i don't have the job yet <laughs> yeah. um and so i think that was truthfully my transition and i only give that anecdote and story to say like it is really learning to take all of you with you 
-hmm. I think I tried very for a very long time to just like this is my work life this is my life life and it doesn't work like that um a work is not your life but you are your life so like you have to bring all of it into work and it was a thing I struggled with for a long time because I didn't write poems to do corporate events like that's just not what that was for um but it's the thing that got me in the door I don't know that any of the I don't even know that my impressive one sheet like she didn't even look at that <laughs> whether that was a thing that really <laughs> told me. um and from there it was just like okay now I get to promote events for women in advertising um a lot of email marketing a lot of you know writing names on badges for very upset uh, guests and patrons <laughs> at the front door. Um, yeah, and and that was the start, a very interesting transition. Yeah. So like as you were telling that story, I I could see it happening. Like it was part of a movie. Like I feel like that could be that could be a movie scene. Like. Um, so you need to start writing your comedy. <laughs> I, I will take that. I'll, I'll write, I will write a script. <laughs> Yes. Um, and I was going to say moral of the story was like, don't give up. But I think your moral is actually way better, which is take all of you with you. Um, mm -hmm. So, OK, where did you go from there? So I was there for about a year and I remember having a meeting with someone um, who was like a mentor. And I was just like, how do you know when you're ready to leave a place? And they said, mm -hmm. You know you're ready to leave when you look at the person above you, like your manager, and you look at their manager and maybe even up to the CEO and you're like, I don't want to do that. Like when you know you don't want to do the things that would be next in line for you, you leave. And so I had like this thing where I may have had more opportunity to do some stuff there, but I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. So I think that was the first time I had to kind of like go look for a job. And frankly, I wasn't doing that great of a job because I found my next job on Twitter, um, which shows you where I was and what I was doing <laughs> during work hours, um, where someone just had tweeted out a um, development program at Spotify and music and tech. And I was like, ah, I love this. I applied for, I didn't apply for, I tried to apply for a SoundCloud internship during college. And that was one of the things I really wanted to do. I had taken some music entrepreneurship courses. Uh, mm -hmm. And I turned in the application late. Don't be like me, friends. Um, and so this was like, oh man, this is something good. I think the benefit of that program from the outside looking in was really that it was 16 months, right? So you have enough time to like six months or so on three different teams in three completely different areas of the business. And for me at that time, I was working at a small organization like I talk to my CEO every day, it's seven of us, right? We've been to her house and like, it's just very tight knit. And I never worked in a global organization before. So for me, it was like, oh, this would be a really great opportunity for me to do that. Um, caveat being, I don't have the experience, right? Um, uh, my, they are my good friends now. Hi, Sammy and Effie. I know y'all are listening to this, so I had to say your names. Um, at the time, like one of them had worked at a record label before, one of them grad school and several years in advertising. And I'm like at this nonprofit adjacent to the industry. Um, and so I ended up being extra, making a website that was supposed to go inside my application. 
What did Francine do? She turned in the application late because she couldn't find the application deadline. Um, and that is the story of how I got to Spotify where I had to go and put the um, website on Twitter to get their attention. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think much of it. I was just like, oh, they're going to see it. And then it, maybe something will happen. Maybe nothing will. But I already bought this Squarespace site and I need my money. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, and so, yeah, I, I landed there. Got a lot, a lot, a lot of good experience. One year there felt like three in comparison to I think the first year went by really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot more to learn when there's more than seven people working with you. (laughs) Uh, I think that was the space where some of that discernment and some of that focus started to come into play because I was doing so many things outside of the marketing world where it was really my opportunity to be like, okay, you're analytical, you're a creative problem solver. Like, is marketing the only thing for you? Are there other functions that may work? And I think in some cases they did. Like, I'm sure if I was like, hey, guys, I really want to come back on the team, like, might be able to work something out. But I, I really, in that time, landed my passion working in brand and creative. Um, and I think it's, again, back to that Black art, I am really so, so, so impressed with, like, the creativity of the people I worked beside. So it was less that I got to be creative, but I got to help facilitate a lot of great ideas. I have to shout out um, Shannon and Kenya, who are two creative directors at Spotify, Um, two Black women who are just like, I'm consistently impressed with everything they do. Um, They, I think there was a uh, Day of the Dead, they created a bridge with like the, I think they're like marigold flowers and stuff, like things they put together. Um, Cynthia, their producer that they work with a lot, like just being able to be in that space and saying like, okay, well, if I schedule these meetings, like I don't have to create the thing, but I can schedule the meetings. I can like have the conversations and facilitate this amazing work to be put out in the world uh, became something that I really, really enjoyed. So that was, that was like all within kind of the second experience there where we started to get some of that focus and direction or so I thought. <laughs> and then I got a yeah. job offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, keep going. Tell me what, what came next. Um, so next, I went to a small um, northeastern food chain called Dig Food Group. Uh, and so something about me, again, outside of work, using all of me, is I bake a lot. So me and my roommate, pre-corona, oh my gosh, lost so much this year, um, used to throw these dinner parties where like she would cook and I would bake. So Game of Thrones, she makes a pie that you would eat in Westeros, like of this like lamb and like just various exquisite things. Yeah, yeah. And we'd play off each other and then invite friends over, make it themed. Um, and I think I'd been baking for like four years, obviously getting more knowledgeable about culinary stuff. And someone I worked with at Spotify, um, who I love so much. Hi, Carrie, hopefully you listen to this. Um, yeah, had an opportunity on her team to build a marketing team. Um, and I was really looking forward to it as an opportunity to, branding creative is like a very specific type of creative production. And this would have been more holistic on the marketing, like me being the person to, again, write the brief, understand the budget, brief other teams, work with a culinary team, be in the kitchen. And so I was just really looking forward to, wasn't looking for it. This is also the benefit of like, 
doing good work and growing in your career is hopefully we all can stop applying for jobs at some point and they can start coming. <laughs> That's what this yes. looks like a lot. Right. So, um, yeah. And I think for me, it was kind of like, I wanted an opportunity to be managed by someone who like really understood me. Um, I think a lot of like, you don't choose your manager, right? You kind of get whatever manager you get. And a lot of times like it works. That's part of working is I learn your communication styles and you learn mine, but every now and then you find someone who like just gets you and you get them and like the work you can produce together feels significant and awesome. And I love Carrie because she's such an advocate for um, people of color and women of color, especially even though she herself is not. Um, and that's like the conversations that she opens space to have are not always the easiest to have, but like I enjoyed being in a workplace where I could talk about, I think at the time there was a lot going on. Um, this was before all of the stuff that happened at Condé Nast with Bon Appetit happened this summer, but their kind of like diversity in a test kitchen was being brought under fire and we were able to just like talk about as a team what does that mean how should we approach the things we're doing and that's not a conversation everyone can even welcome in an official workspace um so opportunities like that again getting to work in an industrial kitchen like um, working at dig i was like put the hairnet on and go chop some beets for two hours and like get to know people who are working in the kitchen while also trying to like work on larger campaigns uh, it gave me a different angle. It widened my marketing skill set. Um, it also, like, I was a copywriter, and I, I oof, gosh, hate to say it, but like, even as someone who like was once a poet or is a poet, I struggled for a long time to identify as a writer. I know many people who write. It is like a a, a blessing and a curse that we all have of like mm -hmm. writing is hard, <laughs> and a lot of people do it professionally for real. So it's hard to just be like yeah, I'm a writer. But in this role, I was like, emails, small copy for apps, whatever it is, it's like, you write the brief, but you also have to do that writing. Um, and yeah. it, in some ways, also brought me back to the writing I did for myself. So that role, though short-lived, <laughs> um, yeah, I started uh, 2019, end of year, and then pandemic hit, and July that ended. Though short-lived, I think it kind of pivoted and positioned me in a place where I, I learned a lot, um, met some amazing new people. Um, and also I think started to realize that I like food to be for me and not for work, mm. which is also an important distinction. I think a lot of times we have passions and we're like, ah, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yes, that's true. But some things should just be hobbies. Like some things, I think we live in this age where I can't tell you how many times I post food and people are like, oh, drop a cookbook. Oh my gosh, I would love to order this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, for me. <laughs> it's just for me. It's just for me and my friends. Like, and I think that is something I'm also learning in my quest for perfection. A lot of times I'm like, oh, I know how to make this a business. I, without doubt, um, I, if I wanted to start a baking shop tomorrow, like I could. But like, no, actually, it's okay to have things that you just do for you, maybe not even for Instagram, that just like provide joy in your life. So that's, though it was a hard way to learn that lesson, I think, through the pandemic, it was a necessary thing um, that has opened me up for more opportunities and four months of rest, which is unheard of. So, yeah. Yeah, there was... Uh... 
there was I saw this tote. Um and it reminded it reminded me of what you just said. Um <laughs> oh, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. And it says, do what you love, and it's like crossed out and it says, work super hard and you'll work super hard all the time with no separation or any boundaries, and also take everything extremely personally. That's exactly it. That is exactly <laughs> it. I was looking that up as you said that. Okay. Um, final couple of questions. Um, you mentioned the mentors at one point. And so I wanted to ask, have you had them? And if so, how did that relationship come about? So I'll be honest, I have a very, I think if this is quote is attributed to Issa Rae, where she, and it's not a quote, I'm just kind of summarizing whatever she said in this clip. Um, where she's really talking about the power of networking across. Um, and I think my strongest advocates, people who have pushed me the hardest, people who have like kind of brought questions and also opportunities to me have been my peers. Um, and that can be like anywhere from probably three to four years above me. Um, and even sometimes like I have people who are younger than me who I'm just continuously inspired by like they just have passion still, like they still have energy. <laughs> and that is something that I admire a lot. And I think, um, I think the woman that I talked to in, you know, when I was transitioning from that first job, it really was just like a one-off coffee. Haven't talked since, hope she's well. Um, my most recent boss, I think I would consider her a mentor, but it's not a formal thing where I'm like, oh, will you be my mentor? It's just kind of like a natural relationship where she knows things and like, if I ask, she'll answer with love and I appreciate that. But a lot of like where I look to, to like, I want to learn is from people on my level, A, because we have similar experiences and there's a lot still to learn from each other. Um, there's that thing of like, I don't feel like there's any level of like, I'm performing or I'm trying to like gain favor or any of that type of stuff. Um, and it also comes so much easier. I think we all have this, or at least at the beginning, I had this idea, and I think I was continuously told that like you have to know the people up top, right? The CEOs and the VP directors. And that's nice if you do, and that's even better if they genuinely care about you and like your career. But the truth is, like those people are swamped. Part of why I don't aspire to those things is I'm like, that's a lot of work, dog. <laughs> that's a lot of work and then you have to like go balance your personal life your family and then like even with my own small things that I've done it's like a certain time of year kids are looking for jobs and they're like oh you've worked here and here and here and I used to feel like I had to respond to every one of them and it wasn't until recently where I realized like oh Francine you actually can't like I try my best to like you know, I can shoot you a quick LinkedIn. Yes, it's been four months since you sent this. If this answers your questions, like I hope it's helpful. But I think about what someone at a higher level must have. And I, I just, for me, if, if I'm looking for a mentor in this room, it's, it's really about someone who has understanding and care, right? And time. I don't want that to exist in a way that feels transactional. Like, what do you give me? What do I give you? There's like, a beauty in what happens with natural relationships right where we just talk and we gain so much from the connections we have for each other the genuine care i'm looking out for you the way my friends will send me a job just because i'm like hey i'm unemployed i had one friend it was just like anything you saw just like okay here you go here you go here you go um 
and that's the type of stuff that like I because I have not had a mentor mentee relationship in that formal sense might be something I'm missing would love to experience it one day but I think for now I gained so much value and like care from my immediate peers and community that I've never actually desired a mentor in that capacity um yeah 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 fair enough well on the flip side I'm pretty sure that I saw that you were a MAPE mentor. Yes. Yes. Okay. So the only question I ask is what did you learn about yourself while you were mentoring others? That is such a good question. Um, Shout out to MAPE. I think (laughs) I this it feels gratuitous, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think it taught me the value of my own voice and experience. I think that very often um, I have, like, you see how I just forgot that I was a mate mentor until you mentioned <laughs> like, I forget that these are some of the things that I do that I am excited to do. Just like, no one told me what to expect when I started this shit. No one. And like, I don't know. And maybe people did, but it was always sugarcoated or like, oh, but it's going to be great. And like, I have found that me being a mentor is a lot of me just like being very, very, very honest about the like weight of some of my experiences. Um, Again, some of my first like, let me go find somebody to talk to about this happened because of experiences that happened at work and nothing like, you know, life changing or anything, just like oh, the weight of everyday microaggressions in this place is like weighing on me. And I think that being a mentor taught me that like, even those in those what, two, three years of experience, there was something worth sharing. There was something worth passing down. There was something I could illuminate for other people. Uh, I also think it opened me up to learning from folks that are younger than me, because again, I just, I find that it is quick, easy for me to become disillusioned with things. It is easy for me to see the like, you know, capitalism wheel and be like, ah, this ain't shit, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> it's really easy. But I find that, um, I'm gonna shout out Yasmin. I think I remember her being, I had like one mate mentee and then all of their fellow friends basically at some point like chatted with. And I remember sharing with a group of them just like, my very honest experiences thus far in the industry. And like, I think it was probably the beginning of some of these thoughts about what the industry really is or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember some of them being like, damn, do I want to come to New York? Like, this feels a little heavy. And I just remember even hearing all of that, Yasmin was able to be like, no, I want this. Like, this is, this is meant for me. Like, I'm, I'm going to create a space here for myself. And I think I am continuously inspired when it comes to like being a mentor of like, younger people's ability especially like gen z to like know the world is shit right know that things are like have been handed to them and probably the worst situation (laughs) any anyone's ever been handed down something and still like go for it and still create possibilities that is exciting it is energizing um and though i am only four years into this and very much a baby in the sense of world and my age i'm tired already so it's is really refreshing I think to know that it's like it's okay and it's possible to be excited even when the circumstances 
are grim. Yeah, I yeah, a hundred percent. So um, I end every episode by asking these four questions, and yes. they are: you know, what are you reading? What's the challenge you're facing? Uh, what's something you're really proud of? And a piece of advice that you would give to people who listen to your episodes. First, uh, what what are you reading right now? What's going on? What am I reading right now? Had you asked me this a while ago, I would have had something nice. I actually <laughs> picked up, um, I try and read poetry and other things that just like fuel my writing. And mm-hmm. I was reading two things. I'm still working on the end of Zombie uh, by Audre Lorde, which is like her biomythography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a poetry book I got from a friend a while back that like I took it and I didn't read it and now I'm reading it. It's called, is it Death? It's by Sam Sachs. I should, I think it's Death. Put that in the Googles. <laughs> very, not, not Death. Um, really, really good. Recommend it if you are into poetry. I could be. Um, I don't. I couldn't tell you the last poem I read, though. To be honest with you, um, I felt like I used to really be in the poetry, like in high school, and then I don't know what happened. I'm gonna send you some poems. Thanks for me. Send me some poems, please. I, I will. I promise I will read them and get back to you with my thoughts. <laughs> uh, what is something that's that's been a challenge for you lately? Hmm. Oh, structure. Structure. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going from four months of being loosely employed is what I'll call it. <laughs> um, working 10, 15 hours here and there and mostly doing what I want to getting back to like, I tried to wake up with an alarm this week, the ghetto. Like, <laughs> like I was really like, I used to do this. Um, so <laughs> structure, getting back into a routine is, is rough. Pray for me, y'all. Got you. Okay, well, on the flip side, what's something that um, you're really proud of? What's something I am really proud of that is really good? This is random, but I realize I haven't really celebrated it much. Over the um, quarantine period, I made a wall of, like, there are memes, there are TV shows and movies, there are some of my favorite albums, and they're just, like, a wall of maybe 400, 500 photos um, to make a mural. And I like looked at it today. And I was like, yo, this is mad impressive. This is really good. And although it happened a couple months ago, I'm still proud of that. So yeah, that is what I'm proud of. As you should be, you made that. Um, what is uh, a piece of advice that you would give to um, black students who maybe are you know, looking for their first job? Um, or, you know, people who are in that first job that listen to your episode? Hmm. Um, man, <laughs> I hope I don't lead y'all straight. This shit don't matter, y'all. I don't, I don't, I feel like if I can give one piece of advice, I think you put a lot of emphasis on, like, career and, like, that first job meaning everything and, like, mm-hmm. it, it means your trajectory for the rest of your life. Yo, I'm 26. I'm probably going to change my mind about what I'm doing three, 17 more times. Um, the idea that like the, the rat race up the ladder, like that's not what life is about. So take it easy on yourself. Rest. Go to therapy. 
promise it's great. I promise it's great. Um, yeah, none of this shit matters. Yeah, um, I'm very sure that I'm gonna end up changing <laughs> what I do probably <laughs> sooner rather than later. Um, so that got me. Um, where can people find you online? Wow, should people want to find me online? Um, <laughs> just kidding. I am at fufu underscore Fran on Twitter, I think. I don't talk about professional things on there, so good luck. And on Instagram, it's mostly cakes. It is fufu, F-U-F-U, dot Fran. Gotcha. That's a wrap for this episode of Pay It Forward. Uh, to anyone listening, you know, please rate, review, like, subscribe, whatever you do to your podcast, wherever you listen to them. I hope that you all have taken something positive away from these 12 episodes so far. Um, you can find out more about the podcast in general on social at Pay It Forward Podcast on all social channels. Uh, and you can find out even more on the website at payitforwardpodcast.com. And the forward is FWD. Peace. <laughs>